and wine talk show we're here with chester the nightfly northfield and i'm your host Stephen lane chester what do we got this week we got uh, a little red wine you're gonna read this one yes jean-claude something no no boisse jean-claude oh yes you're right um <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like boisson like a drink you know well yeah uh we have the 2016 uh Jean-Claude Boisset, Bourgogne, Pinot Noir. That's uh, just Bourgogne Rouge, so it's red burgundy. I'm excited. I haven't had a French Pinot Noir in, in a long time. Well, if you haven't had a French Pinot Noir in a long time... It's like my first time. It's kind of a... Oh, Jesus. Well, <laughs> sorry for you, but uh, let's uh, amend on. that. Okay, 2016, Jean-Claude Boisset, Bourgogne, Rouge, Les Ursulines. Uh, from the Appalachian of Burgundy, the region of Burgundy. Santé, Chester. Santé. Mm. All right, let's get right into this here, folks. Um, Appearance-wise, got a nice pale color here, pale ruby. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of nice, classic. Almost white on the edges. That's the table. Oh. Oh, now it's brown on the edges. Yeah. The floor. Look at that. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, you, but you should definitely look at the color of this very over pale. a white table. Very pale on the edges. Always, always check the appearance of your wine over a white surface. Perfectly translucent on the edges. Gentlemen. Yeah, which is nice. You can really see through it. Um, so, you know, it gives us the impression that uh, it may be a little bit lighter. Let's give it a sniff. Pretty good depth here. Um, has that classic kind of uh, savory quality. You know, the first thing I smell when I smell this is not uh, like some abundance of, you know, bursting juicy fruit. You know, know, there's a little seaside town to this. Yeah, not exactly Hubba Bubba. (laughs) (laughs) Seaside town, it's a nice way of putting it. I mean, there's some kind of, uh, I don't know, should we say mossiness or uh, salinity? It's a red wine here, if we haven't been clear. Made from the Pinot Noir varietal. Pine Nut Noir. Pine Nut Noir. Um, also the name of a town. <laughs> seaside town. That's the seaside <laughs> town. Oh, here we go. Um, it's not overbearing. No, it's it's pleasant. I mean, you can kind of almost smell by you can you can smell the wine. You know, this is going to be a savory and dry experience. I think. Would you agree? Do you think you know what something's going to taste like based on what it smells like? I mean, I'd like to say yes, but I'd have to be put to the test to really be I mean, what's sure. your impre- What's your initial impression of this? All right, my, my, lo- my initial impression kind of is... You don't drink a lot of these kind of wines. Okay, this is... In my mind, this would be a little bit more mild. What but, do you mean? Well, I, I like big-bodied, like, in-your-face, like, just, you know, punter juice bombs. Yes, you do. 
And so this is this is a lot more restrained, a lot more sort of pared back, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so I'm guessing a lot less alcohol. Um, yeah, you'd be correct. Less, a lot less residual sugar. I yeah. mean, those two are going to go hand in hand usually. Look at Chester getting all technical on us here, ladies and gentlemen. But like, you know, I, I stick my nose in here and I take like a big deep breath and I feel like I could just keep breathing this all day. Whereas like, you know, like a really, really big wine, you like take a whiff of it and you're like, all right, I need to stand back from that for a moment. Yeah, it's very, <laughs> very pleasant. I yeah, think it is. Uh, this is like a... Mild is an appropriate word. I think it is, uh, it's gentle. Gentle is, a, gentle is a really good word for it. Let's drink it. All right. Mm. Oh my! <laughs> yeah. Oh my mm. word! Oh my word! Who makes the morning <laughs> fabulous? <laughs> J.C. Boisset, Jean-Claude Boisset. Oh gosh. Um. Ooh, nice pucker. Good pucker. Oh, just like I feel like chalk is like, oh, in the front of like front of my cheeks. And that's really a hallmark of great. Mm. I, I think any great uh, French wine, but certainly any great. Uh, any great wine from Burgundy is that pucker. You know, this you is want fantastic. Yeah, this, this tastes is, really good. This is like I, I don't know. I, I'm. This, I want to have a popsicle that tastes like this. Every great wine to me um, is paradoxical in a certain sense. What, what do you mean by that? In the sense that sounding a little postmodern. Well, yeah. Well, I am a little postmodern. <laughs> I mean, I'm wearing a. I'm wearing a, a jail shirt. <laughs> That's a um, sailor shirt. Is it a sailor shirt? Yes. Is it really though? Or did Gilligan just wear a shirt like this? <laughs> I am wearing red pants as well, so I do look a little nautical, if you will. But um, paradoxical in terms of the fact that we kind of agree this wine has a generally gentle disposition. We agree that it has a mild disposition. Um, we agree that I mean the appearance is certainly pale and delicate. Uh, the wine. You know, we determined, and it is 12.5% alcohol, which is relatively low by today's standards mm-hmm. for red wines. Mm-hmm. Um, not not as not as you know much lower. Where in France is this being grown? In Burgundy. Okay. So that is kind of a, you know, kind of in the middle as far as latitude goes, and a little bit to the east. And this is where the greatest. So uh, closer to like Switzerland. Or, not uh, quite so far. Germany. Not quite so far, but, okay. but you know. Um, fairly central to France, but only kind of leaning towards the east side. Uh, and this is really the spiritual home of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, mm. for those of you uh, listening and talking and drinking at home who may not be familiar. Um, this is really groundbreaking stuff here on my Bitch and Wine talk show. <laughs> but yeah, um, now, okay, let's see what else. I feel like I could just drink buckets of this the nice thing with this is you can uh this is pretty versatile stuff and this is a village wine or not a village wine uh this is basically a district wine i suppose you know burgundy being the district i think Mm -hmm. i'm correct on that i could be mistaken um but basically you know we're talking about the broad region here so we're talking about the um you know if we were to go an appellation larger than this we'd now end up you know talking about france vinda france yeah so you know a very general Kind of area, which means the the wine can come from anywhere in Burgundy. So we've got, you know, a relative style that we can expect here. I mean, let's remember that within Burgundy, going right down to the, you know, uh, different kind of subregions of Burgundy and different villages and different vineyards within those regions, yeah, those those areas. You know, we get a lot of marked 
you know, differences in the wines, a lot of market terroir elements that are repeatable, you vintage after vintage, you know, bottle after bottle. Um, but at the same time, we have an overarching style of Pinot Noir, which I think this is really hitting. Um, you know, is there a fruit character on it? Yeah, there is. Hmm. I'd say the fruit character to me would be, you know, in that kind of, we're definitely talking red fruit here. We're talking fresh, lively red fruit. It's almost like a like a, a tart, almost like like a tart watered down plum, or even like mix in a little bit of blackberry. Maybe it's just a tiny bit of black currant. If you if you were to like make a, like a puree out of those three, and then and sort of bring it all down, like water it down a little bit. I think it's almost like raspberry. Um, you know, I, I think, think of so. like raspberry, Raspberry's, strawberry, rhubarb. is so sweet. And this is just raspberry. I see. That's so funny. You're the second person who said to me like raspberry is really sweet. I, I find raspberry is like one of the driest fruits of all. Um, we could have a raspberry tasting like session. I've always had like raspberries taste very like, you know, crunchy. Oh, you're clean. eating them too early, buddy. You, know? you got to wait till they're like, you try to pull them off and they like fall in half. All right. Well, and let's, then they got let's so much sugar. Let's, well, you are from America, so you're from the States. So everything's, you know, sweeter. <laughs> Um, where is this, where would we say this wine is in the spectrum of like how ripe is, if this, if this wine was a, was a fruit, where would it be? When would it have been picked? Oh, this is, this is not very ripe. I, I don't think so. I would say it's appropriately ripe, but it's not certainly like, it's not bursting. Well, I, I think that it's important to, to like, to, it's to, where it gets paradoxical. Well, it's important to make the distinction of is more ripeness good or bad and the distinction should be like less ripe or more ripe is not necessarily good or bad yeah this isn't a value judgment this isn't you know it's it's more of of a placement judgment in terms of i think sugar versus tartness yeah or acid and i i would say that this is more towards the less ripe side of the spectrum Uh, at least as far as the fact that you know we we live in british columbia we've grown up on mainly you know, a kind of modernistic, new world influence style of generous red wines. Uh, to me, though, this, you know, I've had a lot of Burgundy. And especially, that, that, that means like bigger, bolder, juicier yeah. sort of fruit bombs. And to me, this is actually, you know, I think it's generous enough for uh, for something from Burgundy. I've had a lot of wines from Burgundy, especially at this price point uh, from 2016. By, you know, most accounts, I don't think was a, any kind of trailblazer of a vintage. Um like as far as it's not like some kind of heat wave vintage, but I think there's tons of character here. I feel like there was, you know, healthy ripeness in the fruits. Oh, agree. Um, and I think there's, like yeah. I said, just by smelling it, there's there's no kind of underlying tone that says, "Whoa, this is like hyper acid," or "This is uh, hyper underripe," or kind of hyper brushy or green. This is to me is, like you said, you kind of mentioned like a seaside town has a mineral character. There's a chalkiness in the mm-hmm. palate. Uh, there's detectable fruit, which it, it has a certain level of ripeness, which is edible it, to me. It definitely leaves you wanting to eat something. Mm-hmm. I can't figure out what I want to eat right now. I mean, my my first, my instinct was like, I want to eat some oysters with this. That's an interesting uh, But I, I know that's not, comment. Not, not exactly a classic pairing. I mean, if you were going to eat oysters with this, I would suggest, um, I think it'd be great with baked oysters. Mm. If you chill this wine a little bit, some baked oysters, Rockefeller, or something like that. Maybe some. Is fried calamari like totally off the rocker here? I don't think so. I think you know we're not. There's not a lot of tannin in this wine. My, like my, I'm like my whole mouth is puckering from this wine. Yeah, which is good. So I mean, that's. Acid, I mean, I, right? I, want, I want like fat. 
Yeah, I, I mean, can, can mean you want anything. You want acid, fats, you know, a little bit of salt. I mean, acid is going to quench your thirst and it's going to cleanse your palate primarily, right? And also acid leaves the potential for the wine to be paired with another acidic food to kind of unlock, you know, to alter the perception of the wine, unlock more flavor in the wine itself. So like, could that be is, like an oyster with a little lemon on it? Uh, it could be. I mean, I, I think there's other other wines would be a lot better with that. I mean, I think uh, for enough. me, it's... I like those, those sort of like non-conventional pairings. You do, yeah. And you know, who really gives a shit? <laughs> Isn't that I mean, the, the point? The day, I mean, you know, if, if you listen, I've seen so many assholes try and drink red wine with oysters. If you're going to do it, folks, get a wine like this, put it on ice for a little bit and just have at it. Just don't tell anybody you did it, but just, you know... Chester's an asshole. If you have to do it. <laughs> it's fine. William Maholland, I hope you're listening. And uh, Oh, cheers to William, man. Cheering along. What a rock star the other day. William Maholland. If uh, any of you in Va- are in Vancouver, listening from Vancouver, or visiting Vancouver, you need to go to the Blue Water Cafe and seek out William Maholland. Wine director William Maholland. Um, what, plug. what a guy. Thanks for the $10,000, William. That's all you get. <laughs> uh, let's carry on with the wine here. Uh, Jean-Claude Boisset, let's do a little Googling. Let's consult Dr. Google. Are you with me, Dr. Google? Talk to me, Googles. I started typing doctor instead of uh, the name <laughs> of the wine. Um, Jean-Claude Boisset. Oh, my God. My fingers are drunk. Okay. Bourgogne Pinot Noir. Les Ursulines. It's almost got like a nice rosy color when it gets down to the bottom of the glass. There's not much left into it. Yeah, it's extremely pretty. The and ro- a very naturalistic color petal, as like, well. I think, you know, rose petal is an appropriate, almost dried rose petal yeah, as far as its appearance. Like a potpourri um, sort of color. Yeah, it doesn't, it's not, there's nothing confected about the way this looks. It doesn't look fake at all. It doesn't look doctored. It looks totally, tastes totally clean, mm-hmm. uh, which we really, really appreciate. Um, all right. Okay. Why'd you pick uh, this wine? Well, I went to the liquor store, and I really felt like drinking a kind of light. I didn't really want to drink red wine today, but we were due for red wine on the show. So I, uh, so I grabbed this one because I wanted something kind of fresh, light, you know, airy that wasn't going to weigh us down. What, what's, in, what's informing that sort of that desire, that decision? It, it's, well, it's the rel- weather has to do a lot. You know, it, right? I, was, um, I was ripping out drywall. Uh, and aspe- you know, in an asbestos costume today, so I had a mask on. I was sweating. <laughs> I love that little video. You sweating my, <laughs> you know what, off. And uh, so I was really hot today, I w- and it was kind of hot out, and I was just sweaty, and I, you know, wanted to have a shower and drink something fresh that was relatively refreshing. But I also felt like, you know, just for the sake of uh, you know keeping things democratic, I wanted to represent the red today. Mm, so, I uh, so I went for something that I knew was going to be you know lively, tart bright fresh chillable if necessary hmm. um that wasn't going to really leave my mouth like some kind of black market you know <laughs> residual uh dumping ground um okay Bourgogne pinot noir les ursuline let's read about it pinot noir invariably associated with burgundy we are reading off the boisset collection website here uh let's just scroll uh this wine comes from the cote de nuit so that's important to note um, so there's two main Coat areas. Of the night. Yeah, the, the, well, the slope. What is coat? Oh, slope. Slope, slope or, of or the, the night. Or the sa- yeah, because oh, like that's the, sexy. Coat de Nuit. Because the, there's in Burgundy the two you know major you know baller areas are the Cote d'Or and the Cote de Nuit. What does or mean? Gold. Oh, 
Ooh, gold the slope of gold and the slope of night. Man, oh. Co- not coincidentally, you end up getting, um, you know, a lot. most of the most famous whites are from the Cote d'Or, uh, hmm. and the most famous reds are from the Cote d'Or. Well, in general, there are certainly great exceptions. Volnay is a, you know, wonderful, uh, wonderful, wonderful, um, you know, village that's, you know, in the Cote d'Or for red wines. But okay. like I said, plenty of exceptions. Sure. Um We'll have to drink one of those. Uh, but yeah, Cotonoui, I mean, now we're talking, you know, your Von Romanes and, you know. Wait, say that again? Vo- Nuit Saint-Georges and, mm-hmm. you know, Chevry Chambertons. You got, you know, some pretty major, you know, villages and vineyards in the Cotonoui. The most famous Pinot Noir sites in the world are coming from the Cotonoui. So it's a, hmm. so, th- you know, this could have come from anywhere else in Burgundy. Um, you know, the fact that we know that we're getting, you know, Boisset is a large, a large holder of uh of land uh a large negocion as well they have a ton of fruit they're one of the wealthiest families in the world they have a huge collection of wine labels i mean i mean let's let's look at you know california france you know canada england uh they've got you know just boatloads of fruit they're working with you know many wineries um which to me is usually indicates that you're going to get a good value product so i like to focus on these wineries because at their low end like at stuff that's going to be especially if it's appalachian if it's burgundy apple if it's from the burgundy appalachian they can't fake that Hmm. they can't market that and really if you look at the label here it's just a white label with writing on it like the best ones are just says where it's from what it is who made it they're not hiding anything those are celine they have a little name for it they're not trying to hide behind branding they can't and why would you because the most powerful branding when you come from a good area is the area itself so you just kind of display that and end of story that's kind of you know it's kind of like like (laughs) someone who doesn't lie like a liar needs to remember all of their lies in in order to like keep keep it all straight whereas like if you're just honest from the get-go you don't have to worry about any of that shit exactly that's pretty much what's going on and like i said what we've discussed it before we'll discuss it again um you know this is an old world tradition is just having wines from a certain place Mm -hmm. and i like the fact that they've included the word pinot noir the varietal on the label that just makes it easier for people who didn't know pinot noir is a like a finicky grape to grow isn't it uh i suppose so yeah you know, I mean, I, I've never grown it, so I, I, can, I can't really tell you, but it's supposed to be, yeah. Is it, do you know anything about, like, the, the Cote de Nuit that makes it perhaps... Well-suited for it? Well-suited for Pinot Noir? Um, not no ire? Not no, no I mean, to be honest with you, like, no. Like, yes, I do, but not really. I mean, um, not, and not, not, and, and, and more importantly... You know, not in any way that I think would add value to this conversation at the moment, but uh, but that's fine. Uh, I have other things I think could add value to this conversation that I'd okay. like to say. Um, where were we? Uh, You're com- reading fruit the... coming from the Cote de Nuit. Um, important to know. And I was saying uh, we were speaking about large producers and why. Um, I think it's important. Uh, I think it can be a really good buy to, especially you know, look into their value wines. Um, they have a lot of land holdings, uh, Boisset, a lot of different wineries, uh, which means they are working on a great economy of scale. So every, if they want labels done, they're going to, they have so many wineries and so many resources, they're going to get the cheapest labels. They're going to get the cheapest bottles. They're going to get the cheapest marketing. Doesn't quality decrease the more you like 
the, the, the more that you entertain economies of scale. Let me ask you a question. Shoot. Okay, I'm going to tell you a fact here. This wine costs $24.99 on the shelf in, in BC? the BC liquor store. Okay? okay. For a burgundy of this quality, that's almost unheard of, especially yeah, a red burgundy. That's nuts. It's easier to get white white wines. The whites are always more available. Uh, mm. To get a red burgundy of this quality, I, I think at this price point, is, is, is insane, insanely good value. And to answer your question, um, you got to consider the fact that uh, no, quality does not decrease with economies of scale necessarily. The price decreases. Mm. So who who does that affect in the end? The consumer. Well, I mean, <laughs> think, let me ask you a question. If you're making, if you're making, I don't know. Let's say let's say this they produce the Boisset collection produces in France. I don't know several million cases of wine. Mm-hmm. Don't you think it's going to cost them less to get, you know, don't you think they, they're going to be able to bundle a lot of their labels, bottles, resources, boxes, barrels, everything that they use to make wine, real estate, warehouses, you know, uh, marketing people, they're going to be able to bundle a lot of that and combine a lot of that and pay less for that. Then let's say if you want to produce a thousand cases, you're now paying a premium for your glass, well, for that, your bottles. That, that makes a lot of sense for Maybe it's a mythical misconception that, in, you know, in the capitalistic world, when you scale up, yeah, price goes down, but also quality usually suffers. Quality suffers in a certain free market kind of uh, conditions. But the beautiful thing about this situation is that I guess it doesn't necessarily have to suffer. We have a um, we have a set of agricultural laws that protect the way this wine has to be made to standard agricultural laws in France. Exactly. To be called Bourgogne Rouge. Mm. So, you know, there is protection here and you also have, I mean, think of it this way. I mean, if you're a bigger producer, you know, you, you know, there's an old saying, if you want to uh, make a small fortune in the wine business, you must start with a large fortune. (laughs) They say that about the space business too. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So it's the same thing. So, you know, given that fact, um, you know, in a family like this, that's, you know, not starved for resources, they're going to be able to spend more on their winemaking, invest more, make take sure a little bit, make a little there. bit less and still be coming out on top. Hmm. You know, they're not scrounging. Wine is not going to be, you know, their be all end all. They have commercial brands they can really make cake on. But, you know, when it comes to actually respecting, you know, terroir, they're still in the wine business. A lot of the, you know, there's going to be an impetus to do the right thing in a lot of cases. There seems to be a very simple formula for for surviving in in this capitalistic world. And maybe that's that's a good example. All you have to do is produce something of quality and survive at the same time. You think that's fair to say? Because most think that, like, surviving is a function of, like, oh, cutting costs. So then quality goes down, but you're trying to survive, so you're you're rationalizing it in that way. That's an interesting idea. To cut corners. It's like, well, we need to survive. You know, we got to keep the business alive. But it's the, the more that you cut corners, your quality goes down, you're actually shooting yourself in the long-term foot. Whereas, like, you're talking about... Yeah, it's going to be a little more expensive now, but we're more concerned with putting out something of quality in the long term. I think there's certain you got to pick your battles. I mean, there's certain areas where 
you can cut corners and add value in ways that don't cost as much money. For example, uh, the Boisset family also uh, owns the brand French Rabbit, which is that Tetra Pak kind of carton wine. Oh. Okay, so let's think about French Rabbit. <laughs> is that like... I, I, I have no idea what French we should, Rabbit honestly, is. Honestly, I, I know I hate I hate when we're saying this, but we should honestly bring a bring a box of French Rabbit on the show. Well, just let's for do fun. it. So <laughs> anyway, just just because just because we're so we're saying that right now, we will see French Rabbit on my bitch and wine talk show. Wait, in the so future. what is French Rabbit? Just well, French Rabbit is basically it's I mean it's a little it's like a is it what they do with the rest of their grapes that aren't exactly quality? I would say it's probably a few notches down from that. Oh but, gosh. Um, <laughs> Let's see. You know what? Actually, now that you're look, we're looking Let's at French make rabbit, some mark from on, it. we're looking at French rabbit online here. French rabbit to me is the is the mark of a brand. Mm. You know, it's a whimsical brand that is a, you know, and it's served in a uh, tetra pack box, like a, it's like a juice or a milk box, like a carton. You know, which are doesn't even get glass. Although now the funny thing is, I was gonna say it's like you know, I, I was assuming French rabbit were kind of like Vin de France. They actually apparently Boisset here on their website is actually. <laughs> discussing the sourcing of of the grapes for french rabbit um which is i mean i gotta hand it to them is that it's a little funny it's it's cool actually it's, <laughs> it is funny i'm kind of impressed they have, they have when was the last with, time you drank french rabbit i remember drinking it with my golf coach in a hotel room in uh indiana <laughs> of course in indiana Plymouth, are you serious Plymouth, indiana i was actually i was what? playing i had a college golf scholarship i used to play competitive golf and he used to buy, um, oh, this Harvey something Wait, beer. Wait, so this was like 10 years ago-ish. Harvey Wine. Big-ish. Something. Not Weinstein. It was Harvey something. <laughs> uh, whatever it was. He bought oh this Harvey something God. beer, and he bought this fucking box of French Rabbit. And I remember, like, he, you know, he'd offer me, say, do you, do you want a little? I was like, yeah, okay, I'll have a little. So I had a little French Rabbit out of a plastic hotel cup. Disposable plastic hotel cup. Perfect. For this golf tournament in this weird hotel in Plymouth, Indiana. Um, that was the last time I had French rabbit. That was at least that was it, quite a while ago. That was at least ten years ago. Well, it's time if for not eleven years ago. Time for a refresher. Time to revisit French rabbit. But anyway, French rabbit uh, owned by the Boisset family, uh, the same family who is uh, has produced this wine that we are drinking under their own name, Jean Claude Boisset. So you know, French rabbit. Obviously, they're not. Uh, they're not hiding it, though. They're not hiding the fact um, in public that they make that wine, as well as you know some wine of uh, legitimate appellative quality. Um, but where were we? The French rabbit. We were saying um, that's really an example of branding. Oh, absolutely. That's to me is uh, that, and that would be a brand where you could cut corners. I mean, do you think the person who drinks French rabbit cares where it came, come, where it come, where it, where it comes from? I mean, generally. I I'm gonna guess that the person who's drinking French rabbit is is more concerned with being a French rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, exactly. That's exactly the point here, uh, Chester. You know, I mean, as long as it has a percentage and you can share it with company. <laughs> but I believe we had this we had this conversation though uh, recently on the sh- on the show. Uh, we, we always come back to this this we were speaking this yeah. tension between what's actually in the bottle and how it's branded. Yeah, and we were uh, we were talking about why would you not even if you're making a brand, a big producer. Now it looks like Boisset is a little behind on their tasting notes here, but they actually have like they actually have like information online, detailed information about these brands, about these cheap 
bulk brands. They actually have sourcing information. That's kind of nice. It's a, it's a, that's, who knows? that's actually really nice. It's all we were asking for before. It's like if McDonald's had a, you know, hey, listen, the, the name abu- of the farm where like the we abuse the chickens this much. This is how we abuse them. This is where it is. If you want to go see it, I mean, you know, like why, like don't hide behind it, right? So it's kind of nice to see this. I mean, there's not a lot of information, but uh, there is information, which is really cool. And they don't have to provide that, and they're not obligated to. But you know, it's for, you know, those who are curious to know. You know, I see, I saw someone the other day is like, you know, to me, I think is a very, you know, again, kind of a moral, conscious, upstanding citizen. I saw them, this person who I uh, have as a connection on, 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 on the Facebook, they made a post and they had like a bottle of apothic wine in their, uh, in their picture. And I'm like, okay, well, so like how, how serious are you about like, you know, your food and your clothes and all this shit? Like, and you got like, you're drinking, you're drinking a, we like they don't care where that comes from like where do you draw the line right i mean to me wine is food so like i mean i i suppose we're what we keep coming back to back to is a sense of <laughs> sensitivity like how sensitive are you to a topic because being sensitive to a topic such as wine means that you have to know something in order to be sensitive to what's going on right I mean, you have to know how your palate reacts to things, which means that you have to be paying attention while you're tasting things. Or you could just get open-minded. I suppose, isn't that the first ten? Isn't that the first step to becoming sensitive to something? You have to be open-minded. I suppose so, but I mean, I guess my question to you is, and and where I want to stop you quickly to discuss this point is that you said, oh, you have to know how your palate responds to something. Well, how the hell are you going to learn that if you don't try everything? Oh, I, I completely agree with that. 100%. Right? But you have to pay attention while you're doing that. You can be, you, I mean, you can be a crazy, you know, like, raver. It's like, I'm going to try everything. But if you're not paying attention while you're trying everything, then, you know, you get through all these experiences, and then you're like, well, I don't... Chester, I think can't, you... I can't really differentiate between anything. I think you nailed it on the head, though. I mean, I think this is how... You know, and this is why we do this talk show is so we can have informed conversations where we learn a little bit about what we're drinking as we're drinking it, discuss it, make a memory out of it, actually cement it in our brains and add it to our database for future reference that can inform future experiences. And I think you really nailed it. If you want to get good at this shit, you got to try everything and pay attention while you're doing it. That's really the only secret. It's not even a secret. It's just that's how you do it. Uh, yeah, and may- maybe I've said this before. Is that what we're, is that not what we're doing? Absolutely, and and maybe I've said this before. But my dream is that someone is drinking Mr. Jean Claude, you know, Boisson. <laughs> Boisset. <laughs> Boisset. Apologies it's on our behalf. It's too funny. Boisson means drink in French. Come on. And Poisson means fish. <laughs> Boisson avec le poisson. <laughs> Avec, le, avec Jean-Claude Boisset. <laughs> my, my dream is that like someone is, someone is drinking this with us, and because they're listening to this, it's, it's just giving a little bit of an extra push. You know, it's like a springboard in gymnastics that allows someone to just pause a little bit longer and be like, oh, am I tasting what they're talking about, or am I tasting something different? What am I tasting? And, and it's, just, it's just that clean 
calm little mindful moment that allows you to start building like you said a database a repertoire that allows you to sort of expand yeah be open-minded but then you know having that mindful moment of like okay what exactly am i experiencing right now answering that question over and over and over builds sensitivity it's pretty profound well, that reminds me of this podcast. Right, right, thank been, you uh, very much. <laughs> I've been checking out this new podcast. It's uh, it's called Tinkered Thinking. <laughs> I think you should check it out, folks. Uh, if you want to, if you want a little, you know, give a little shout out to some of our podcast friends out there in the podcast universe. That's uh, www.tinkeredthinking.com. Um, I thought podcasts fabulous. were on like Apple things. Well, is it on Apple as well? I go to the website, but I'm old fashioned. You, you listen to that. You listen to that podcast. Didn't no, you? I don't listen to any podcast. What but you listen to Tinker Thinking, didn't you? You told me. No, about it. you told me about it. Well, I did. Was well, it on iTunes? It probably I, I, is. I haven't checked it out yet. I'm so sorry. Anyway, TinkerThinking.com. <laughs> uh, if you want a little mindfulness added to your wine experience, but let's uh, let's carry on with the uh, the wine. Um, Chester, let, let's let's revisit this one. Let's let's do another taste and to see where we've come, where our perspective has brought us. Sante, right. well, I'm it's a pleasure know, to be here with you. Likewise, I'm I'm two full glasses in. Mm. My uh, my sensory experience is a little bit different now. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I, I haven't eaten all day, so that that also. The last thing I ate was um, asbestos. <laughs> I was. Uh, yeah, I was I was inhaling some drywall, and um, after that I had a little bit of trail mix about about three hours ago. Oh God, that's nice and delicious, but I I feel like a there's there should be something on a plate right here. There really should be. We're really we're really and this is kind of to me. What should I, be on the plate right next to us? Uh, any anything with wings would be great. What wings? Anything that flew at one point oh, in like life. Oh, like a bird. Yeah, or or chicken wings if you really want to. That's fine too. Chicken but, wings. Uh, chicken wings with Pinot Noir. That sounds. Oh god, that sounds so good. It does sound good. Should we pause and just get some right? Now? <laughs> uh, you know, to uh, me, I like time. you know pate, <gasps> any kind of charcuterie. Um, if you're gonna do seafood, you want to do. If you're gonna put red wine with seafood, ladies and gentlemen, this is the wine to do it with, or one uh, of them. I could have cooked up a couple sausages before. Sausages are great. Um, I've been watching Hannibal lately. <laughs> um, what an elegant fellow. <laughs> What a really elegant fellow. <laughs> Im- improving humanity one <laughs> one culling at a time. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Perhaps that's what we need more of, but uh, we're not going to get into there. Get into yeah, that we, subject. We've, we've short-circuited natural selection by not allowing <laughs> yes. it to happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, indeed we have. Um, Wouldn't it be great if we just turned off the electricity for like a year? <laughs> <laughs> turned it back on in a year i always say like you know if we just stopped making art in 1976 we'd have been fine are, are we not fine well we would have an, we would have had enough oh i agree with that Chew on. why 1976 is that when because postmodernism it, like no because that's when peter satara and david foster collaborated for the first time oh oh we, but we wouldn't have a we wouldn't have a lot of steely dan we would not, but we would as well. We'd still have it. We'd have. We'd still have bad sneakers. Okay. All right. We're, Walter we're Becker, set. may he You're rest totally in peace. Totally right. Then, like, screw the rest of it. I mean, we would. As long have, as we uh, have pina coladas, we would have pina coladas. <laughs> yeah. And large sums of money to spend. 
Um, we would. Walter, may he rest in peace. May he rest in peace. Oh, we got to give a shout out to our Steely Dawn. So, so, uh, well, a couple of our, you know, we're fanboys. We're fanboys here. Our usuals here. Yeah, our usuals. Let's do it. Let's do it. We uh, we really LeBron. We're really sorry. Oh God, if man, we want to share a glass with you. <laughs> King James, we want to share a glass. Um, we want to maybe you know maybe like some Blue Ridge Mountains wine, something from Virginia would be cool to Ms. share with LeBron. Mr. Rhodes, what would we share with uh with LeBron? You know, I'd want, I'd love to know what he would pick. To be honest, I think we could find out because there's been some articles out there about the NBA and uh, you know their little wine clubs you know, within the uh, the league. Yeah, uh, but th- this would be a different situation if LeBron James was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna go like have a little wine talk show with these these two hooligans out." Apparently, in the LeBron North, James is really good. Northwest. Yeah, like he's got good taste in wine. Let's see. Like there's, actually, knows, there's an article on it here. Um, he knows a shitload about wine. He knows more about wine than most people in the city. Yeah, he's got some good stuff on his little uh, his list here. You know, stuff that's very findable. Stuff that's you know, I'm not that impressed yet. Uh oh. But not because it isn't good wine. Kintarelli, that's pretty cool. Um, I mean, King James, listen, buddy. Like, we know you got like the dough. We know you can spend. <laughs> As much as you want in wine, so like. Well, well, maybe he's not trying to go for that angle. Well, he is though. I mean, if you look at what he's drinking here, you know, this is why it'd be interesting to have a conversation with him about King James. I want to see what you want, what you could do with twenty bucks in your pocket. I want to see what you'd drink for twenty bucks in BC. He might need thirty bucks in his pocket. I'll I'll lend him (laughs) ten, but I bet you doesn't need the money. But that's not the point here. Um, That's a challenge, LeBron James. We want to know. What would you be drinking? In the States, I don't care where he is. Any market, 20 bucks, what are you drinking? In the States with 20 bucks, you can get like a case of wine. Case of shit. Well, I shouldn't use that word. No. I, I, isn't that like a religious people? Well, yeah, but I... I <laughs> and it's even worse, uh, the association I'm making with it. <laughs> Especially considering the fucking travel ban that just went through today. That You know, that whole thing. Did you see that? Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah. I, I don't watch the news. It's okay. This episode like this, this this, 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 this part of the episode is getting cut. <laughs> LeBron James, we want to know. We see you here with your Instagram, and uh, you know, you got 270,000 likes. And you know, we've got what are the wines? We've got uh, some Chassin Marche from uh, Morgio. 260,000 of those. And you me. know, honestly, LeBron, like, we think these are great wines. So we think the Kinsarelli, very cool. Very cool. Uh, but we want to know Sasakaya, 97 Sasakaya. I mean, you know, big deal. Like, you know, everyone knows 97's epic. Like, Sasakaya is obviously fabulous. King James, we want to know. Uh, we see you've got a nice little wine habit. little gaggle of bottles. You know, Kinsarelli, Sasakaya, you know, big deal. Uh, <laughs> King James, we want to know. You got $15.00. Maybe twenty. I'll lend you five dollars. Doll hairs. Doll hairs in your pocket. What are you drinking? What are you drinking for fifteen to twenty dollars? Challenge accepted. Um, <laughs> we'll tell you if you uh, if you reach out and let us know. Uh, my bitch and wine talk show. Um, now, let's just quickly touch on the. Uh, let, let's wrap this up with the Jean Claude Boisset Bourgogne Pinot Noir Les Ursulines. A uh, little Bourgogne from uh, source from the Cote de entirely, which is really really cool. They uh, gone ahead and let us know about that because, like I said, they didn't have to do that. And twenty four ninety nine uh, in British Columbia. This is the 
least expensive. Um, no go King James. Appalachian Bourgogne uh, Rouge that we could find uh, in our market. And uh, I got to say it really, really over delivers for me. You know, I, I've spent uh, double double this on red burgundies and not been as impressed. I think this has got a lot of depth. It's got a lot of uh, all the qualities you want. Generous enough, parable, uh, enjoyable on its own, but it's not totally simplistic either. It's balanced. Uh, what do we want to say to... I can't, I can't find anything to disagree with what you just said. What do we want to say to the producer here? To... Uh, to Jean-Claude Boisset, what do we want to say to there? Well, I, I want to be like, what are you eating while you drink this? Yeah, we want to know. I would love to know what like Mr. Jean-Claude is is feasting on. Maybe Coco Vent or something this. like that? What's that? Coco Vent, maybe? Oh. Quail? Oh, that sounds so good. Maybe a little, uh, is maybe this a little duck riette. This is going to have to turn into like a... A food and bitch and wine talk. <laughs> I'd like duck riette with a little rhubarb chutney. I think that'd be nice. Oh yeah, or like a little rabbit riette. You know, rabbit riette. Ra- ra- rabbit's rabbit. not as like stinky. It's a little softer. Yeah, and the I irony. I think it feel it, it, it'd go well with this. The irony know? that Boisset also produces the French rabbit would just you know. <laughs> I totally didn't even think of that. I mean, that would just be <laughs> that would just be sweet justice. <laughs> so we got it. We got to give it that. Um, Little so, bunny. Yeah, so, Boisset, we want to know. Uh, we want to say to you. We want to know what you're eating with this. Uh, we want to say thanks because this is a wonderful wine and it's at Absolutely. A exceptional value. And we know that it is the size and success of your capitalistic endeavors that have allowed you to offer the people us uh, wine at this price point of this quality and with this amount of information around it uh, online and on the label. So, thank you very much for that. We really appreciate that, and it uh, tastes fantastic. It's fair to say that we sense that. A little bit more generosity was put into this wine instead of cutting corners and just trying to make profit. I get that feeling. I get that feeling. We have no way of knowing for sure, but that seems to be the case, and, and that deserves a thank you. It does, indeed. So thank you very much. And and so. if that's not the case, then bravo. Good for you. Because <laughs> we, uh, you know, listen, it's going to allow you to make more wine. and make, Absolutely. You know, make more mornings fabulous. and <laughs> More of the traffic interesting. So You can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning. That's right. That's right. Very good. Um, <laughs> now, what do we want to say to uh, anyone who's drinking this wine with us or anyone who is thinking about drinking this wine? Thinking about drinking. Tinkering your thinking. <laughs> You're really liking that podcast, huh? It's a great podcast. I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah. What was it again? It's heating up. It's called Tinkered Thinking, www.tinkeredthinking.com or Tinkered Thinking on iTunes. I think it's iTunes. Do they still use that? Too many T's and I's in that bullshit. Tinkered Thinking. <laughs> How to tinker your drinking. <laughs> All right. It's a mindfulness right, to, to add to the... Uh, so the I haven't had a Pinot one. Noir in a long time, and this is nice and refreshing for my experience. It's like, oh, this is, All right. this is quite a bit different than what I'm usually drinking. Okay. Good. I, like, as we know, Chester loves the big, bold, juicy, you know, fruits that have... Can you handle... Can you finish this off, Chester? Yeah, you're driving, aren't you? I'm driving. Okay, sure. Let's not make the traffic too interesting. <laughs> um, now, where were Don't we? drink and drive, people. I was kidding. Do not drink and drive. We're not driving. Uh, you were saying Pinot Noir. Driving the desk chair back to the desk. Driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> uh, you were saying? Well, this is not... I, Chester I, likes big, bold, I never go ballsy, for a Pinot Noir. You know, huge, huge wines kind of thing. One thing about this, though, 
is that I have to say it's a juicy Pinot Noir. You know, For you it is, but you don't drink a lot of Pinot Noir. This to me is, is actually really restrained. Really? Yeah, it, it's it's appropriately juicy. And it, why do you say juicy? I mean, you know, if you have a little acid in your mouth, it makes your palate go juicy. It makes you salivate, right? Okay, so well, juicy. Well, one, is, that, is that juicy to you or what is juicy? All right, what made me think this is that one of my very best friends, Madeline, she loves a really dusty Pinot Noir. What the hell does that mean? Well... I was, dude. I was. I fi- I figured it out. A I few was demolishing th- demolishing drywall today. I'll tell you what dust. Well, yeah. Didn't you see me sprinkle a little asbestos in in your glass? Oh, it's just it stays familiar <laughs> to me at this point. But no, I've had a few Pinot Noirs with Madeline over the years. It's been a while, but like it's like okay, this is definitely a dusty Pinot Noir. But th- th- what we're drinking right now is if that were a thing. Huh? Is if that were a thing? I think dusty is uh, like a. A useful descriptor for a Pinot Noir in some cases. I think it's a fine descriptor, but how do you know it's going to be dusty? Well, I'm saying this isn't dusty. What, I, is, I what does dusty it. mean? Oh gosh, I don't know. Well, we'd have to have. Hmm. See, I don't. If you if you I'm if your answer on, is I don't know, I don't accept. No, it. I'm working off an old memory, and I, I and I'm suspicious and skeptical of what I. The software would may say. be expired. Well, it's not the software is expired. It's that the you know the RAM is burnt out. What's the point here, though? Well, I don't think this is dusty. I think this is uh, appropriately austere for the new world wine drinker. What's austere mean? Uh, austere would be you know minimal, like a little severe. Severe. Okay. Could be a synonymal. But it's still got a like a term with good austere. deal of fruit just bouncing around in the glass. I think it does, but I think you could find examples, you know, abundant. It's like a grape hamster like bouncing around a cage. <laughs> it's not going, you know. Fr- I think the fruit's for totally all. the fruit's totally in check. It's restrained. It's not over the top. You said it yourself. Right at the beginning, you felt this was a relatively... If this was a fruit, you'd feel it was relatively less than ripe or yeah. slightly underripe. Or ju- or just, you know, tied down a little bit. So this is where it gets paradoxical. Now he's saying it's fruity. At first he said it was underripe fruit. So, I mean, what does that leave us, folks? Well, I said earlier... I'm actually ago, not like, disagreeing with you. I'm, I'm, two, actually, I'm two glasses in. My experience I'm actually is a little... using this to demonstrate the paradox of, you know, what a great wine can be, you know, and where it can go, what it can... Do I mean it? it on one hand, it feels like the fruit's generous. On the other hand, it feels like the fruit is slightly, kind of you know, greenish and brushy and underripe. And you that's that's there's not a. It's, it's I'm not discounting what you're saying. I'm a, I'm just highlighting the fact that our perception changes. Our perception and the wine itself can give us these feelings simultaneously that are almost inexplic- almost inexplicable. You know what it reminds me of? And, and maybe we have to cut this out of the wine show, but like, I feel like this is a BDSM wine. <laughs> There's something restrained and at the same time, like totally, <laughs> t- totally like just out there about it. You know, I don't think there's anything out there with this wine. This wine is textbook. Textbook in what sense? This wine is the best missionary sex you've ever had in your life. Oh, I totally disagree. Well, you just don't understand it. Well, maybe we have different... Well, no, no. <laughs> let me defend that, okay? We're talking about this is the home of Pinot Noir. This is where Pinot Noir comes from. This is where the best examples of Pinot Noir come from in the world. I mean, you can be tied down for missionary sex. No. 
Sure you can. Who does that? It's just a position of like limbs and bodies. No, no one ties themselves down from regular missionary sex. No one ties themselves down. No one ties anybody else down either. Let's face it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. You know what? That's not missionary. That's that's now BDSM. I thought missionary was a position. Yeah, it's the guy that's on top. It's a whatever, the classic, you know, it's like the most common position or whatever. Yeah, but like, you know, the person on the bottom, can't, can't they just be tied down into that position? It's still missionary. I'm, I'm looking for common ground here. You call this the most missionary wine ever. That's not what I said. Okay, what did I said you it say? was the best missionary sex you could have. Okay, hence the ropes. <laughs> There's no ropes in this wine. There's some. Well, it's, no rope implies no, it, rope implies deviancy. No, no, There's no, no deviancy here. No rope. Re- re- this is absolutely classic. No r- rope implies restraint, and I'm saying that this isn't restrained for it for where it comes from, though. This isn't restrained for its context. This is less ripe in my mind with regards to other wines that I have. Yeah, but now, that's, that's, you, that's if not you're to thinking say of, it's less if, ripe in if general. you're thinking of it just on a spectrum of Pinot Noir, then sure, like I totally understand where you're coming from, and I'll agree with you. I'm thinking of it like on a wider sense of our database, you know? Well, whose database? Well, mine, of course. How much do you drink? I drink a lot of big red wine, so this feels like it's got some ropes on it, and it's been tied down a little bit, and it's less ripe, but I still really like it. Okay. There's, like, obvious, obvious fruit, but it hasn't, you know, it hasn't fully matured to the... This is to the point where it could have the most sugar available for the yeast and the the most residual sugar left over in the glass for the consumer. It's been maybe picked a little earlier. I don't know. I don't know that. No, I don't know enough about Pinot Noir, but you know it has a twelve point five percentage, so the alcohol is a little less, which is a dead ringer. Usually, almost always, to say that there's going to be a little less sugar in it, and that's the case for this wine. That's it very well a, said. It's a nice little tart bomb. It's a nice little tart, but I feel like that tart is tied down. I think it's very appropriately uh, summarized. Chester. Thank you. Thank you. Chester's got a Chester's been raised on New World big red <laughs> wines, and I think he's appropriately stated. You know, for any New World drinkers out there, uh, I think he's, I think he summed this up very well, and um, and I'll endorse that. So for all of you Kingsters out there, um, for your next session. You might want to. <laughs> you might want to drink the 2016 Jean Claude Boisset Bourgogne Pinot Noir Les Ursulines. Tie them down, pour it all over, have a ball, whatever, have a blast. This has been my bitch and wine talk show. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Stephen. I'm Chester the Nightfly Northfield, what? and I'm Stephen Lane as well, your host. I am no one. Keep it in the short grass. We'll see you next week. This is bitching. Just drink it, alright? Chester, have you opened the wine yet? Can we get the show on the road, please? Did you bring the wine? I got the wine. What do you think this is? Some kind of bitchin' wine talk show? 